Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Healing of Nations podcast, your podcast on religious liberty, end-time events, and current issues that face both the church and the nation. And we have a very special guest. We have Pastor Akeem James. Pastor James, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, brother. It's a blessing to be here. So, Pastor, can you tell us a little bit about your ministry and what you do? So right now I am uh, doing a uh, ministry by the name of Ultimate Cry. And the whole focus of the ministry is to get the message that we have been given for this time, especially as it concerns the three angels' messages um, out there, but especially as it concerns the fourth angel. And many know that to be the angel of Revelation 18, an angel that illuminates the entire world, a symbol of God's people, demonstrating the character of God, of Christ, to the entire planet. And so that's the thrust of the ministry, to invigorate, to empower, and to strengthen God's people, and even people who have never heard these messages before, to a point where they want to be a part of this work of giving the final message of salvation to the world. So that's the, that's the cusp, the kernel, the foundation of Ultimate Cry. Amen. So do you also focus on end-time events and Bible prophecy in your ministry? Yes, yes. So um, that is one of the main things that we have been doing um, uh, on YouTube and also on TikTok, different social media outlets, getting the end-time message out there, especially as it relates to things that have been happening, showing how uh, the Bible has foretold certain things and that we need not fear um, for the future, but we can have an understanding of what's coming and how to be able to stand practically in light of what's coming. So in your studies right now, where do you see the church and the world at in Bible prophecy? Huh. So this is a powerful question. Um, actually, it's interesting you should ask that. Just last night, um, as uh, we were going into the, the Sabbath hours, um, my mother and I, we were studying Revelation chapter 13, and we were comparing it with Revelation chapter 16 and also Daniel 11. And so as we've been looking at that, we've been seeing how the United States uh, plays a part, a major role in end-time prophecy. And it's so powerful because a lot of the things happening within the United States today Although it's a situation that, of course, we don't look forward to because there's a crisis involved. But to understand the trajectory of this nation and where it's heading as it concerns issues of um, whether it be equality or issues of religious liberty, um, it's stunning to see the detail of Scripture as it concerns those issues. And so those are some of the issues we've been looking at. The United States in Bible prophecy and where it's heading and how that's going to connect to the issues of church and state and ultimately the mark of the beast. Now, there's a popular, dare I say, populist belief in the Seventh-day Adventist Church right now where yes. communism and Marxism will pass the National Sunday Law or initiate the National Sunday Law. What's your response to that? Oh, <laughs> Brother Peter, that is a, a powerful question. Uh, this is something that I've been noticing, um, sadly, uh, within the ranks of, of Seventh-day Adventism, 
especially in light of, of recent happenings, in especially in the political world and in the world at large, but especially here within the United States. And one of the things that I have been looking at, there is a statement when this came up, when this issue started coming up, there were two things that came to my mind in light of studying Bible prophecy. One was Daniel 1140, and the other was Revelation 13, and a statement concerning Revelation 13 in the spirit of prophecy. And so I'm going to read that statement, and we're going to see how that relates to what a lot of people are saying now as the as communism being the end-time threat, or secularism being the end-time threat, or socialism being the end-time threat. Um, what I'm perceiving is that there is a major shift that has taken place from what we have been told in the spirit of prophecy. So the first statement is found in very common book, uh, Great Controversy, page 588, paragraph 1. Uh, Great Controversy 588, Paragraph 1, and it reads as follows. This is really deep. It says here, the Protestants of the United States, and this is interesting because Revelation 13, verses 11, all the way to the end of the chapter, it has been, we have taught in our movement, and it's not just that we've uh, taught these things, uh, the spirit of prophecy corroborates with these things and validates it, that Protestantism in America will be the major impetus of the end-time threat. And so here's what it states here. It says, the Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hands of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow the steps of Rome in trampling on the rights of men. Now, how does that happen? Because the, as you've been saying, there are many who have been taking on this new prophetic um, ideology that communism will be the end-time threat, and it will pose a threat to the American Constitution. However, this, a similar statement is given in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 451, and it states... Similar thing, but look at what it says as it concerns the rights of men being trampled. The only way that that can happen is if the Constitution is, is fully repudiated. And it states here in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 451, it states, When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hands of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with spiritualism, when under the influence of this threefold union, here it is, our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government, and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions. Then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan, and that the end is near. So it's interesting that we find out that yes, there's coming a time when the Constitution and every principle in it will be completely repudiated. But the force that is the impetus driving this repudiation is not communism. According to inspiration itself, it's apostate Protestantism. It is Christianity 
within the United States. And that's what we've been teaching from the genesis of our movement. This is why I would have to respectfully disagree with this new ideology that's coming out that communism is the end time threat. Has this thinking of communism and socialism being a threat to initiate the mark of the beast been around before 2016, in your opinion? You know, that, and that's where, Brother Peter, this is where it becomes so interesting. Um, I really believe that it has been, but it's been, of course, deceptive. I don't believe that, it, as it concerns our church, that it's been around as something that that we espoused um, until recent times. But it has been around, but more so in evangelicalism or in Protestant communities rather than the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So as espousers of the Word of God and our distinct Adventist message, many of us have stood firm with the evangelical infiltration of new theology but now it's seeped to our prophetic message. Is that what we are seeing right now? <laughs> Brother, I would say that's exactly what we're seeing. Um, as I've been looking at different things that have been posted, um, I say disrespectfully, I'm not going to say any names, but respectfully as it concerns many of my brethren um, who have spoken about this infiltration time and time again, uh, the same, some of my same brethren who have, spoken about that and capitalized on that. Some of them are now saying uh, things that are a different form from the prophetic truths that we have been teaching, that our church has been teaching. And what I've been realizing is that comes as a result of a political influence, a political leaning that has caused some to adopt prophetic ideas that have never been taught in our movement. Now, can communism be a threat? Of course. Um, but is it the threat of the end time uh, that our church has been preaching for over a little bit over a century? It is not. Now, piggybacking on the evidence you showed in the Spirit of Prophecy about apostate Protestantism initiating the mark of the beast, I saw an article from an individual with a leaning towards a certain political party, blatantly right. leaning, uh, okay. She posted that there is a Protestant left. In other words, oh. with the election of uh, Pastor okay. Warnock from Georgia, okay. that okay. shows that apostate Protestantism could be the African-American Protestant churches. How do you mm. respond to that? Right. Well, one of the things that I would say to that is, of course, on a very general basis, we should be careful of having political leanings. But one of the things that I would say to that is that we have to look at our prophetic foundations. Um, one of the things that I'm referring to is how do we view the end time scene coming about? And one of the major things that I've seen in the prophetic layout, especially in Revelation 13, is that the Christianity that ushers in the National Sunday Law, um, a.k.a. the Mark of the Beast, legislated, is a group that is coercive in its Christian practice. And what I've been seeing is that, as it concerns these past few years, 
that when it comes to Christianity within the United States, especially evangelical Christianity, we see much within that that aspect of Christianity that is coercive, um, that is very forceful. Uh, we're not seeing that, I would say, in the in the area of the black community. Now, what I would say to that is that I think the reason that the black community has become so intense over these past few years, and especially within this past uh, 2020, um, is because of the the racial tensions that have been stirred and that have been happening. And they have wanted to have someone or, or policies passed that would, in effect, protect um, the, the African-American demographic within this nation. And so that's what I would say has been happening, that there has been a push to be able to bring equality as it concerns the racial divide within our nation and addressing that. Um, but what I would not say is that, whoa, this is the left aspect of Protestantism um, that's going to be the threat at the end of time. I think what we're more so seeing is that the threat is coming from evangelical leaders that, while I'm not saying that there, there aren't good people on both sides, but as it concerns um, the the right-wing philosophy of dominionism and Christian nationalism that we have been seeing, we have been seeing that coming on the rise more and more. Not saying that there can't be surprises in the future, but that's what I'm seeing fits more so with Revelation 13 and the coercive Christianity that ultimately ushers in Sunday legislation. Now, you mentioned social media and various posts that you have seen. Mm -hmm. Have you been disappointed or hurt by your fellow Seventh-day Adventists of the posts that have been posted in the past couple years? No doubt. I say so very respectfully, but no doubt I have been disappointed because what we've been seeing is a shift for political expediency. Um I think what we've seen, especially in 2020, with the racial tensions, the political tensions, the natural disasters that have been happening, is that while we cannot read the hearts of men, Jesus did say by an individual's fruit, you can know them. He also did say that the heart speaks out of the mouth, right? So basically, as a person opens their mouth to speak, it reveals their inward thinking. And I think that has come out especially within uh, 2020. And so as I've been seeing that, some of the posts that have been put up, um, brother, it's been intense. I've been wondering, whoa, like, haven't we not only learned from history, but also haven't we um, been studying the, the truths concerning prophecy? I had a sister, um, there was a, a post I put up the other day in response to some of the things that I've been seeing and how we are called as a people to stand as it concerns issues of religious liberty, as it concerns racial tensions, we are called to be a voice, because our church has been that from its genesis. And even before, with the Millerite movement, um, our church was officially there. We There was a voice um, concerning these issues. And so 
but what I've been realizing is that these issues have become so politicized that to now speak on them, people think you're trying to be political. I've had people tell me, brother, um, as I've spoken on some of these issues now, they're calling me um, a left winger. Um, <laughs> one brother even questioned whether I should be a minister or not. Some people have um, <laughs> made threats against me in light of speaking on certain issues. And it's been very interesting because before these issues came about, we were good. But once these issues came about and I realized there was a deviation from the truths of God's word and what we have been told, and I began to address it because of some of the posts that I was seeing, I became enemy number one. Um, but some people, I would say, have been recognizing the problem. I had one sister the other day, she messaged me and she says, Akeem, as I have been going throughout the community and I have been having Bible studies with people, I've been seeing exactly what you're saying. Because many people are now saying, especially in light of what happened at the Capitol uh, just a few days ago, January 6th, as that happened, um, what we saw there, without mentioning names or anything, what we saw there was a revelation of Christian nationalism. We looked out into the crowds and you saw people waving. The same individuals that were invading the Capitol were also, many of them also waving Jesus flags. People crying out almost in like a Jericho style, like we have to take back this place by force if necessary, coercion if necessary. And so as this was happening, it was a demonstration of what dominionism, what Christian nationalism looks like. And she said, as she went out into her community to study with people, you had people saying, a revival is coming. And in that revival, it will sweep across America and we will take back this nation. And here's one of the, the key things that she was hearing, brother. This was the crazy part. She says, Akeem, one of the things that I was hearing that they kept saying as I went to these Bible studies was that the way that this will happen is that we have to get rid of this idea of the separation of church and state. Brother, when I heard that, I was like, whoa, that's image of the beast language. And so many are supporting that kind of idea when they say things like communism is the, the major issue or the end-time threat, or we need to support or sympathize with Christian nationalism. When you see things like that, when I see posts like that, I'm like, whoa, this means that for political expediency, we have deviated from the prophetic truths that we have been given. And once you bring it up, people know prophecy, brother, all the way up until the point that you bring it up. And when you bring up the issue that this is not what we have been told, then the argument comes, well, you know, we really don't know what's going to happen because they know what we've been told. So this is where it's, very, it's been very disappointing indeed. Do we have a race problem in the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in America? I would say definitely um, yes. Um, I would say so from experiences that I've had personally, um, experiences that I've seen others uh, that they've had, and... Uh, 
also how I've seen many of our church members and um, even some people who I'm connected with and close with respond to the racial tensions that have been transpiring within this nation. I think before this situation took place, the, the, the racial tensions as they've been happening in 2020, and even before, before those things reached the climactic point in 2020, we didn't really know where people were. We knew that there were racial tensions. I think there were some people that knew, that a lot of people knew. I would say that I was a person who, while I was becoming aware of it, I was very ignorant of the reality of it. Um, and for the sake of a theoretical understanding of the truth, I never really addressed that issue practically until uh, the past two years. But what happened is that within the past two years, as these things have escalated in its intensity, it's at that time when we get, when I think it started coming out that in light of how many church members were responding to these issues, it began to show that, whoa, there is an issue. Um, and now what's been happening, especially in light of different sermons that have happened, historians addressing the issue as it concerns our church's historical response to racial tensions, um, it's been coming out even more that there is a problem. Um, because you hear the same people that are saying we should stand for the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. We should uplift um, the word of God and inspired writings. Those same people, when the issue of racial tensions come up and you bring out the spirit of prophecy statements, and the statements in history as it concerns how our pioneers address these issues, all of a sudden, you're taking it out of context, or these statements don't apply to us anymore. The same people that were just saying that we must uphold the Bible and the spirit of prophecy are now saying these statements are taken out of context, or they're not applicable. And so this is where I realized, whoa, there is a huge problem here. And unless these issues are addressed, I had one brother, um, him and I always talk back and forth about these issues on different sides of the spectrum completely. Um, but as we spoke about it, there was one thing that we agreed on and we realized that it would really take a crisis for the church to really realize where it should be standing on this issue. Um, and that's where we realized that the time of trouble came in. Because once that comes, um, Brother Peter, I really believe that the issues will be clear. Um, there will be no more, well, maybe um, these issues exist. Maybe issues like systemic racism exist. Um, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe we're just making a big thing out of it. I believe that at that time, the spirit of prophecy statements, the Bible concerning the topic, it will be so clear that we cannot escape it and we cannot avoid it. Um, if you don't mind, there's a statement that I was looking at here that my friend and I were looking at and we we're like, wow, this is so deep because within our world today, we see that issue, but many are saying it's not the issue. And this happened actually, this was letter 99, um, written in 1899 by the servant or by the messenger of the Lord. She had recognized this even in her day, 
And we are seeing it in our time, even within the justice system, um, and even as it concerns issues of incarceration. But here's the statement. She says, the desire to show, speaking of the white brethren, and I say this, I preface this by saying that I have many brethren that are seeking to stand on these issues um, of different racial backgrounds, and I truly appreciate them. But this was as it concerns, this is as it concerns those who will not acknowledge that there's a problem. She says, the desire to show their masterly authority over the blacks is still burning in the hearts of many who claim to be Christians, but whose lives declare that they are standing under the black banner of the great apostate. So what I realized here by this statement is that the problem wasn't theology. They may have known certain truths as it concerns Christianity. The problem was practicality. She says, but whose lives declare that they are standing under the black banner of the great apostate? She continues by saying, when the whites commit crimes, they are often allowed to go uncondemned, while for the same transgressions, the black are treated worse than the brutes. The demon of passion is let loose, and all the suffering that can be devised is instituted against them. Will not God judge for these things? As surely as the whites have brought their inhumane cruelty to bear upon the Negroes, so surely will God's vengeance fall upon them. And what I believe is happening today, as these things begin to increase in our nation and even around the world, it is God's response to the rejection of addressing the problem of the nation's original sin within the world and even within the church, brothers. So this is my view currently as I'm looking at the statements in the Spirit of Prophecy. With this uh, vitriol going around and racial tension within the church, do you feel safe in large gatherings with people holding these sentiments within the Seventh Avenue Church in these large conferences and convocations? You know, I would tell you, brother, um, in light of some of the things that I've been experiencing, um, at certain points, I was like, Lord, this is intense. There are gatherings that I used to go to where I was like so excited about it until I started realizing this mindset was taking hold of some of these gatherings and of course, I wouldn't say any names, but um, in looking at that, I've been like, wow, like, do I still want to go to, to such places where I know that we may be talking about certain things, we may get along as it concerns prophecy, as it concerns prophecy in theory, but when we get to really the practical aspects of how that is actually manifested in everyday life, I know that these people are gonna <laughs> gonna really feel offended if I bring up the areas practically. These areas, if I address these things practically, I will be honest. I felt like, man, I I, I don't think I want to go to these places. However, what I what I would say is that some of the the ministers that I've been seeing addressing it in a balanced fashion. It's been, they've been mentioning certain aspects as it concerns the love of God. And I'm realizing that one of the reasons that I would still go to some of these places 
is because we are still called to love each other. While we are called to hold each other accountable, um, and I believe that that is a part of the love of God, to really hold each other accountable, even if it seems um, offensive. Of course, do it intact, do it with wisdom, but to still do it um, and to still be with them because I realize what Christ has done for me. Um, in my state of, of, of rebellion and in, in not acknowledging what God is trying to show me at times, Jesus is ever still wooing me with his love. He's still drawing me. He's still coming into my space to reach my heart. And in seeing how he has dealt with me in, in my personal struggles, I've been realizing, wow, Lord, this is how I have to communicate with my brethren that I intensely disagree with. My brethren that I feel are not living practically in harmony with the theories that they're preaching. Um, the Lord help me. And so that's how I've been responding to it, still trying to gather with my brethren that I disagree with, connecting with them on a, on a daily basis and trying to form connections um, that will ultimately lead to a place of understanding. Now, Black Lives Matter and social justice issues mm -hmm. are dirty words within the church yes. that causes a lot of controversy. So what is your vision of how we should respond to these issues? Mm -hmm. Well, how I've been looking at it, you said, and you mentioned uh, uh, Black Lives Matter and social justice in particular. Um, what I've been noticing is that there are problems with these two phrases, but some of the things that I've been realizing is that many of those who have problems with it, how do I say this kindly? They're also not being fair um, in their approach to the issues. Because when it comes to certain aspects of the political ideas that they hold, they hold those political ideas without filter. Um, they don't filter their political positions. Um, it's, it's almost like, um, as, you, as you mentioned, and I'm not saying whether this individual is bad or good, but for example, we say the same people that may say that Black Lives Matter is uh, completely evil, uh, there's nothing in it that is good. You can't say that you agree with certain parts of it while it contains aspects of spiritualism or while it has been accused of, of riots. Um, and many people say this, but one of the things that I've been looking at, and I told some of my friends this, and I said, let me wait, sit back, and see what happens. And exactly what I had mentioned took place. And when the antithesis took place, they stood with what they espoused without filter. And this is where I realized, whoa, this is hypocrisy on another level. I say that respectfully. And that was, I'll give you an example. When the issues of uh, Black Lives Matter, um, their protests were taking place, the social justice protests were, were taking place within the nation. When it happened, Time Magazine brought out an article that approximately out of the 100% of 
protests that had taken place, BLM protests that had taken place from its inception up until the point that the article was written, it was stated that only 7% had culminated in riots. Only 7% of, out of all the protests that had transpired. And so as this came out, as these statistics came out, um, you remember that the uh, accusations that were being made against the uh, Black Lives Matter protests, they were saying, no, they, they're completely riotous. All of their protests have resulted in riots. And statistically, that wasn't true. Um, we found out that there were other groups infiltrating these protests, uh, such as groups like Antifa and other groups seeking to give the movement a bad name as it concerns their, their demonstrations. Now, check this out. When that was stated, they said no. People said people who are on the other side of the political spectrum in Seventh-day Adventism were saying no. It was completely all BLM. Now, here's the interesting turn of events that took place. I said to my friends, and I didn't even have to say it, there were many people who espoused a certain political ideology that said, if this happened on the other side, this would never take place. We would peacefully protest. We would have peaceful demonstrations if we weren't getting what we wanted. Now, Brother Peter, when... The situation came down, not to an issue of racial injustice, but to an issue of not getting their way politically. Brother, the Capitol, the situation that, is, that took place at the Capitol was one of the greatest demonstrations that if the tables were turned, and it did turn, the same arguments would be given. And sadly, this is what took place. The situation at the Capitol happened, and the, the, the arguments came out from many of my Seventh-day Adventist friends who were on a certain side of the political spectrum. Well, this was Antifa, this was Antifa. And when you asked for proof, there was no articles, no proof, um, no concrete evidence. The words that I kept hearing is that I believe that this was Antifa or this could have been Antifa or no, this is this is probably Antifa without any evidence. And there was no filtering of saying there were some of my friends who finally did say, no, you know what? This is wrong um, on both sides of the political spectrum. They agreed that this was wrong and they said, no, this is unacceptable. But there were many who still clung without filter to the nationalistic views that they had. And when I saw that, I was like, whoa, at least I'm saying that we should say that even though we don't agree with the spiritualistic aspects, even though the, there are aspects of BLM, maybe when you go on their websites that say they, there's a, there should be a breaking down of the nuclear family, um, those are aspects that I fully disagreed with. I was having a conversation with someone on a Facebook post and I said, hey, I disagree with that. But the aspect that I do agree with is the phrase as it relates to, to systemic racial injustice. And I believe that while there are aspects of social justice that are not right, 
there are aspects of social justice that do agree with biblical social justice. One aspect that I always tell my friends from the other side of the spectrum um, that disagree with this movement totally, um, I tell them where I agree with them, is that the aspect of social justice that seeks to bring in a utopian form of society will never happen. And that's an aspect that I disagree with. We know that things will get worse until Jesus returns. However, the aspect that the Bible agrees with, biblical social justice, is the aspect of Isaiah 58, of standing against things not only within the religious but civil sphere that results in the oppression of others. For example, when it says in Isaiah 58, um, I believe it's verse 6 and 7, loose the bands of wickedness. The word wickedness there addresses not only moral or religious iniquity, it addresses civil and ethical injustice. And we are told by inspiration that the work of the church is to do the work of Isaiah 58. So it is the work of the church to be a voice that speaks against not only injustice within the church, but injustice within the world. So hence, I agree with that aspect of whether it be BLM or the social justice movement in the sense that the Bible calls us to speak against oppression systemically and in all of its forms. Um, but I disagree with the other aspects that goes contrary to the Word of God, if that makes sense. So should we have our own advocacy, our own entity, rather than link up with other groups in these issues? So one of the things that I would say as I've been looking at um, both the Bible, Spirit of Prophecy, and our history, is that especially as it concerns the issues of the Millerite movement and also the Seventh-day Adventist movement, um, there were different um, articles that came out as it concerns our church in relation to racial justice and also temperance. And when you look at the subject of the Millerite movement as it relates to racial tensions, it's powerful because they connected with other Christian initiatives. Um, you had um, Millerites that were connected as it concerns um, the Underground Railroad, or you had Adventists that were connected as it concerns different um, racial initiatives that were done in the time of William Miller. And as they were connected, all of them having this mindset of destroying the atrocity of slavery, as they united upon that point, having the basis of Christianity it was a powerful movement. The Millerite movement, the majority of the leaders within the Millerite movement were composed of abolitionists. And the abolitionist movement, while composed of Christians, were also, I was talking to um, a historian who had looked at these things and researched the abolitionist movement. They, It's interesting, they had people who were of different um, religious and spiritualistic ideologies that were in those groups. They were not at the base. You had people who were spiritualists. You had people who were of different groups back in the day who were 
um, anti-Christian, but they united upon the cause of saying, no, oppression of our fellow man, the trading of souls of men is wrong. And we unite upon this premise to attack. Um, when you get into the health aspect, the health arena, our church officially connected with the women's Christian temperance movement. And as they connected with that, it's very interesting. Um, I'll read a statement here. This was written in inspiration. Um, Manuscript 91, 1907, paragraph 1. This is the servant of the Lord, and she states this. She says, Light has been given me that there are those with most precious talents and capabilities in the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Much time and money have been absorbed among us in ways that bring no returns. Instead of this, some of our best talents should be set at work for the WCTU, not as evangelists. Notice this. It's powerful because she says not to go in there and try to convert them. But she says, but as those who fully appreciate the good that has been done by this body, we should seek to gain the confidence of the workers in the WCTU by harmonizing with them. Here's the balance as far as possible. Powerful balance. This is why, Brother Peter, I would propose that many perceived, and we are told this especially as it relates to the subject of righteousness by faith, many perceived of Sister White as a heretic in her day because of some of the things that God was showing her that she was communicating to the church. When it came to the issues of righteousness by faith, many thought that she had lost herself. <laughs> Some of the pioneers thought that she had gone astray, crazy enough. Um, and I believe that today, um, many are having problems with these statements because it shows the deep balance of the prophet of the Lord. Not only that, we are actually told in the Zion of Ages that Jesus Christ was so balanced in his approach that many perceived him as a heretic. Um, that's how balanced he was. But really, it was a balance of truth. It was a standing in truth that Christ and the servant of the Lord was doing. And so this is why I would say today that we can unite with certain groups, but we have to be careful. And this is why it's powerful how she says it. In that time, it was a Christian group pushing this movement, this temperance agenda. And so she said, we can unite with them, but here's the catch, as far as possible. Meaning, there's areas where we'll disagree. And there were times, there were times when there was an area where they disagreed. For example, the WCTU, there was a moment when they connected with the Sunday agenda. And this was a place where she said, we cannot unite with them. However, on the other areas of temperance, she said, we must continue to unite. And so this is powerful. You would think she would say, as many would say today, wait, they connected with the Sunday movement? Let's pull out immediately. Let's disconnect completely. 
But instead, she said, let's connect with them still where we can. And in the area as it concerns Sunday, let's disconnect. So that was serious balance. And this is why I would say today there are ways in which we can connect. Show within even the secular or civil domain that, whoa, Seventh-day Adventists are actually a people that care about the issues. They actually care about the oppression of their fellow man. They don't only, only care about issues such as abortion, but they care about issues such as racial equality, which is just as much an issue. They're not people who just care about religious liberty when it affects them. They care about issues that affect their fellow man in different arenas of life. I believe, brother, that that will be a powerful thing if our church can become that balanced to recognize, according to Isaiah 58, not only our religious duty, but also our civic duty in civil affairs. Um, should we be careful? Um, yes, of course. But is there a way that we should be able to connect with others of different mindsets, of different faiths, of different persuasions? We have no problem doing it when it comes to religious liberty. I think we should be able to see how we can do it in a balanced format when it comes to racial equality. Pastor James, thank you so much for your insights and for blessing us in this podcast. We hope to have you again in the future. It's a great privilege having you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was, The privilege was mine. It was a, definitely a blessing, brother. Amen. So, can you close us off with a word of prayer? For sure. Father in heaven, I pray, O oh God, that you continue to guide us. Lord, we desire to be a people that live in harmony with the principles of your word. And so I pray, O oh Lord, that you would guide us in this regard, that we may ever uphold the light that you have given us, and as a result, be a light to all around us. Of Jesus and his love. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 